0: Hi everyone! Welcome to this week's edition of Growth Everywhere, where we interview entrepreneurs and bring you business and personal growth tips. Today we have Jesse Farmar, who is the founder of Code Union, co-founder of Dev Bootcamp, and also former CTO at Everlane. Jesse, how are you doing today? I'm great. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on the show. So yeah, let's let's hear a little bit about your background first before we continue on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I have. I mean, I live in San Francisco. I've been out here in the Bay Area now for about eight years. Uh, Before this, I lived in, I grew up in a tiny village in Michigan, went to school in Chicago, and then I moved out here. I've been all over the map in terms of my uh, sort of career, but I started with, I guess, growth-oriented things. I moved out to the Bay Area in order to work on a a startup with some friends. They had invited me, they graduated the year before, asked me, hey, why don't you move out to uh, Mountain View and work with us? And I thought, well, I don't really have anything better to do, so why not? And it didn't work at all. <laughs> uh, we spent three months building um, products, a product that it, it resonated with folks, uh, but we didn't really know what to do with it. And by the time the summer wrapped up, a few of the people involved went back to school and uh, other folks went back to their job and I had to, well, I guess I have to find a job now. And in, you know, in retrospect, it was clear that was probably the first moment where I went... Um, this was not really a this like well, this was a failure of marketing, <laughs> and not not a failure of technology or product. And I think not to, um, you know, speak ill of the other folks on the team, but I don't. You know, we weren't really when we were in the middle of it. I don't think we were self conscious of that. And uh, sort of ever ever since then, I've been slowly gravitating towards merging the engineering skills I have, my background, my academic background is in mathematics. I have a, a BS in mathematics from the University of Chicago. Um, my father was a small business owner, so I've also had this entrepreneurial dimension to my life. And it's, it's really been just a slow merging in my career of all of these, sort of all of these, all of these different aspects. Um, and I've pulled off some tricks. Uh, I, I really learned a lot when the Facebook platform came out, came out and I was part of a group of people who or sort of self-taught when it comes to growth because the Facebook platform is really, the, I think, the first opportunity people really had to teach themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've built maybe, uh, either by myself or with other folks, a handful of Facebook applications that had five to 10 million monthly active users. Uh, i built a few standalone sites that had between 500,000 and a million monthly actives. Um, and early on, at Everlane, you know, we built, our, we built our launch campaign and we signed up, I think, about 250,000 people in the two weeks before we launched. Um, and when I went to do Dev Bootcamp, the growth sort of thinking was still there, but it wasn't, it wasn't so out in the front because there's, there's less growth to do, or at least it's less, um, it's less tactical because, a, you know, a business like Dev Bootcamp is so uh, so high-touch. Right? You, you have very few customers, but each of whom pay a, a fair amount of money. And now that I'm doing um, code Union, which is uh, sort of a remote, a remote program to teach people new technical skills, we' actually I'm, I have to sort of dust off my old growth hat and start to think more tactically again. So that's Got that. fun.
0: Yeah. Okay, so yeah, tell us a little bit about Dev Bootcamp because I I, didn't, I forgot to cover that part. So you know, tell us a little bit about Dev Bootcamp first, and then we can talk about Code Union.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Dev Bootcamp—I um, co-founded it with two other people, Sharif Bechet and Dave Hoover—in January of 2012. And there are, uh, for lack of a better word, about a hundred similar programs or more around the world now. But when we started, there weren't any. Um, but it's a nine-week Incredibly intense training program for junior software engineers. People put their lives on hold, leave their families, leave their kids, <laughs> quit their jobs, move across the country. At least back then, because they we were only in San Francisco. Uh, the tuition is about ten thousand dollars, and they just go—you know, six, seven, eight hundred hours over those nine weeks. Um, and it's for most people the most intense learning experience they've they've ever had. Uh, and I left that about a year ago, actually, last August. Uh, and but that's that's Dev Bootcamp. So I've been and Code Union sort of is kind of in a similar space, with a like teaching technical skills space, a slightly different format. Um, so I've been my head has largely been in the zone of teaching and like how to teach and effective teaching for the last t- three years. Uh, although maybe people don't see it this way, but there's a large, in my opinion, a very large amount of overlap between um, how I think about teaching and how I think about growth, uh, so it's not it's not totally not totally disjointed, but as a dev bootcamp is so.
0: Got it. Cool. So let's talk about let's talk about code union now. You said you know there's there are some fundamental differences where you know I, I think dev bootcamps more like in person, code unions more yep. remote. Um, yep. Yeah. What what are some other differences between the two? Yeah. So the biggest difference, basically, there's these
1: these in there's this format that Dev Bootcamp invented, essentially, uh, of this short-term, in-person, incredibly intense learning experience that takes people from just starting out programming, maybe they know a little, to making them um, job-ready or, like, Mm job-capable. And it's expensive, both in terms of money and opportunity cost. People have to move across the country. They have to quit their jobs. They have to do everything. So it's sort of a high-risk maneuver. Um... The learning environment is incredibly intense, and a lot of it, that often doesn't work for a lot of people. Um, and so, when I left Dev Bootcamp and I took, you know, six months off or so, I I got to thinking. I, I just knew there were so many folks who wanted to do something like Dev Bootcamp, but either couldn't or didn't want to move, couldn't or didn't want to uh, be in such an intense learning environment or take for example marketers or operations people or product managers who really do want to learn technical skills but they don't want to become a full-time software engineer mm. and so Code Union is built for that for those folks and it's it's a more a la carte style program it's remote it's 100% online uh, we organize them in either 4 or 8 week remote workshops students come to us they set their own expectations, and we give them a, f- a framework for working through that. And the main thing we emphasize is just getting f- getting feedback from our staff uh, sort of as frequently as possible on the work they're doing. Um, and right now we offer four workshops. There's like a fundamentals of web development, professional software engineering, um, a topics in computer science, and then we have a SQL deep dive uh, workshop for people who just want to learn SQL. So we've actually had... Um, like Everlane sent part of their marketing team through our SQL workshop, for example, mm-hmm. so that they can develop. You know, Everlane has a very strong brand marketing team, but they don't have uh, a super strong quantitative marketing uh, team. So they want to build that. And hey, sometimes it's cheaper. You know, one of the things Code Union does hopefully is makes it uh, cheaper to build rather than buy, so to speak. You know, to to cultivate talent internal to a company. It's easier to take a product manager, a great product manager, and have them take an eight-week workshop to become a technical product manager than it is to, you know, filter through a million resumes and find a new technical product manager.
0: So. Got it. So you yeah. know, this is perfect for for people like me that are like more marketing slash operations. And, and so, how much does it cost for this eight-week workshop?
1: Great. So the eight-week workshops are three thousand, mm-hmm. um, and the four-week workshops are fifteen hundred. And depending on what the students want, we ask. Uh, to, get, to get the minimum of what we want out of it, it's between 15 and 20 hours a week, mm-hmm. typically. Um, a little less for the SQL workshop. For students who are coming in looking to make a career transition, that expectation is, is higher, obviously. But, uh, you know, we've had probably about half of the students who took our fundamentals workshop, which is um, some, some people come in with already understanding the basics of programming, But it's mostly about, it's all about building web applications, understanding how web applications work, and understanding, like, giving students the skills to navigate all the future terrain they'll encounter when they're not, like, in our workshop. Um, And about half of those folks took it are from, like, operations or those kinds of things. And so they get really excited because they get to apply what they learn almost immediately on their job. I, I just got a message today from a student being, like, oh, my God, I... I wrote a script to pull this thing from this database and put it in this database, and then made some automated emails to send to someone else. And so it's exciting to uh, be able to show them that programming is something that you don't have to be a self-identified programmer to do. It's a it's a, just a really powerful, really general tool in your toolbox if you understand if you understand it, even just the basics.
0: Got it. <laughs> I think I'm gonna to have to sign up, <laughs> but uh, so so how does you know, you know what's the success rate? You know, you, you, people pay three thousand bucks, fifteen hundred bucks. I mean, how many students actually get through?
1: Well, we're still really young. We're we're less than four months old at this point, point. Mm-hmm. and we're just wrapping up our second round of workshops. So in total, we've probably had uh, I should know this off the top of my head. I don't, but uh, I think around twenty five students go through all of our workshops in total. Okay, um, and they come from all over the world too. So, we'll, we're having a student. From uh, Ghana, take our topics in computer science workshop that's starting October sixth. So our next batch of workshops all start October sixth, and so that's sort of that's exciting, right? There's the the only avenue he has available is either self learning, attending a school somewhere probably far away, or sort of giving up his life. Like, what is he going to do if he wants to go to Dev Bootcamp? He has to now move to the United States and. Immigration issues and yada yada, so okay. Um, so we're really excited. Oh, yeah,
0: that's a really you know the, the. I think the dynamics are like when you have to pay for something like you know you paid you drop 10k for Dev Bootcamp or 3k for something like this. It, it's almost as if you're 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 pot committing yourself to take a turn from poker. Um, yeah. Versus you know I, I was at Treehouse before and, um, you know I, I'd play with the product sometimes, but it's just like I, I don't feel committed. Um, right. So I I think having this and and having someone guide you is is something that that's incredibly valuable and I think that's why it's it's worth it um, sometimes um, and you know just just let you know the audience know I had a friend go through a similar program like this and you know came from a I think he had a biology degree completely unrelated and after he went through something like this you know today two years later he's making you know over a hundred k as as a developer so you know it, I think it's something that's definitely worth looking into if you're looking to make a any type of transition. Um, so, you know, you, you've, had, you've had 25 students go through. So can you walk me through how you got the first 10 students?
1: Absolutely. It will sound... Uh, I think of growth as, honestly, I just have a really long time horizon for it. Like, I've been... Uh, not always intentionally, but cal- like cultivating... Like, re- like, reputation. And so the, the first... Chunk of students were just, they mostly came from, um, hey, I saw so-and-so retweet a thing or I saw so-and-so like or share a thing and that so-and-so was a, f- a friend of mine. Um, I have a bunch of answers all over Quora. Uh, for whatever reason, Quora has become, for the, the universe, if I want to learn how to code, has become a, a pretty big nexus of activity. Like, by the time you know, you said you were at Treehouse, right? There's, there's this continuum of sort of material, mm-hmm. and there's a, there's a point where students often go, well, I want to take this seriously, but what's next? Like, I watched the videos, I did the tutorials, but like, what, what now? I'm left feeling a bit like, I don't know, shouldn't there be a more magical tingling feeling or something, mm-hmm. with, I thought this was... So, once those people get into like research mode, and you're like, I need to find a program that's for me. Uh, for whatever reason, Quora has become a, a pretty big resource, and uh, so uh, I think if I were to look at the referral traffic to our main website right now, I think probably a quarter of it comes from wow. answers, old answers of mine on Quora. Wow. For but that stuff—I mean, I wrote that that over the course of the last three years, not with the intention of eventually directing stuff to. Uh, um, you know, code union like code union, right? I, code union wasn't even a twinkle in my eye at the time. So, <laughs> uh, so that's how we got our that's how we got our first batch, and I, and also a lot of our second batch. And you know, now it's you know that's why I sort of said early on we're ba- I'm back to having to think more tactically. So, um, right now we're we're trying to figure out that that old search for a scalable, repeatable marketing channel.
0: Yeah, let's, let's talk about that. I mean, you, you know, you, you've, you've built these apps, 5 to 10 million users quickly, you know, 500,000 visits a month for websites, and, and you know, you've, you've done all this high-growth stuff before. So what's the plan? I mean, what's the plan to scale this out? You know, because I'm sure you'll get that question from a lot of people.
1: Uh, here's the thing. I mean, I can give an answer that you would believe, but it'd be a bit of a fib. So if you even asked me to Everlane you know, when we, when we built that launch page and, and launched it, mm-hmm. Michael and I, Michael's the CEO, we sat down just before and we said, this is October, middle of October. Um, how many people do we need to sign up by the end of the year in order to uh, basically have enough proof for us to go raise our next round of financing? That's what we were thinking. And we, in our heads... Not in our heads. I mean, we decided, well, about 50,000 people. If we can go from, we had about 10,000 on the mailing, this mailing list we had building up for about a year. If we can get 50,000 in the next month or two, then we think we can go make a case that we're onto something. And we launched the page and oh my God, 250,000 in two weeks. So there's a way you can tell that story where it's very linear, right? Where it's like, there was like an, there was like an equation and we solved it. Mm-hmm. Um, And my experience, I think maybe some people know how to operate that way, but I don't. So I I can't say what the strategy is. The the picture I have in my head is one of a bunch of, you know, there's sort of like just a bunch of particles zipping through the universe. And you, you, your little planet, you hope, collides with some of those particles. uh, And that the collision has enough energy and the right components to produce some, something interesting. And the way you solve that is by, like, um, you know, ri- in- increasing the surface area of this planet, right? Or um, increasing the velocity or frequency of these particles colliding with you or, or that kind of thing. And uh, as you... As these events happen, they start to feed into each other, and you get a, a self a self sustaining reaction. And so I it's although I'm a math person and I'm an engineer, and people have this idea that it's supposed to like you're a very linear thinker. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just it's a very nonlinear a nonlinear process. So right now we're producing content. For example, I wrote a blog post yesterday on the Code Union blog about uh, how to how to teach novice programmers how to debug their code well, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I don't know. It's been, it's been being received really well. I think I woke up this morning. I think about 20 or so people shared it on Twitter. Um, and, but, but why did that happen, right? It's a combination of who I am, like the reputation I've built, um, the quality of the writing and what I'm saying, who, who, who I put that in front of, and like who's paying attention to me or the channels I'm talking on some of which are things that I cultivate, we cultivated within the last like months, some of which are things that have been cultivated over the last three years. So, um, you know, our our grand strategy is, I guess, we just wanna be the sort of the most trustworthy, uh, like we wanna just be sort of an honest broker um, and produce material and information that when people see it, they go, Wow, I didn't—I didn't realize anyone could think this this sophisticatedly about this topic. Uh, wh- whatever they're teaching, I want to learn that. And that might be that might be naive, but I think um, that plus some more, ta- you know, some more tactical stuff. Like, yeah, I'm still thinking about what should the headline be, like what should the copy be. Uh, Putting it on Reddit, like in the right subreddits, and getting people to you know upvote or comment, maybe, and all the, all those tactical things, but they're in
0: service of this higher agenda. So, got it. Cool. That was not
1: a very direct answer to your question. I just don't have a direct answer. Sorry.
0: No, I, I think I think it's it's perfect. So it's, my understanding is, you know, you have to you, you have this grand vision, but you're you're going with the flow, you know, and you, you're going to figure out these things as you go with it. So I, I think with, with something like this, that totally makes sense. Um, you know, when it came to scaling something like. You know, going back to Dev Bootcamp, you know, obviously it, it's very popular now. So, you know, what's what's one unique thing you guys did to grow that Dev Bootcamp?
1: I'm an, I'm not gonna lie. Its growth was a fluke. Without it was it was without a doubt the fastest growing company I've ever been involved with. Uh, we had to put very little effort into marketing. Um, and when I was there, I was the one sort of spearheading our, mar- our marketing efforts. Mm-hmm. Some of it is a little subtle. Like, we managed to convince everyone to use the term programming boot camp to describe the style of program. Like, we, we made sure that was the phrases we always used and that it was always used in the press. I mean, some things like that are sort of subtle. Uh, obviously, my activity on Quora was really advantageous, but... It started off with a post on Hacker News. And that's how we got the first cohort. Wow. And then we published the statistics. We published our results. And that was sort of that, to be honest. Uh, we, we never had to hustle for press. That's, un- that's actually unfair, because uh, one really critical person who was involved early on, Lockheed Groom, who's I don't know how old he is now. He might be 20 now, 21. But he was like ni- 18 or 19 when he was at Dev Bootcamp. Uh, actually, was the one who hustled for a lot of our initial press. Uh, but I mean, we just had a really compelling story to tell about placement rates and the results and so on. But without, without his involvement early on, we would not have gotten uh, that attention because no one at Dev Bootcamp was really pre- like press-minded. But pre- press was always a huge driver. And then when you achieve the amazing results, Uh, and, and inherently it's a business that isn't, you know, you're never going to have a million customers, right? You're never going to have a million daily active users. Mm -hmm. So what you want are people to come out of the other end going, my life has been transformed and I now want to like preach the gospel at Dev bootcamp. So like word word of mouth was huge. And then creating a presences in places like Quora where folks who had heard about this crazy thing somewhere and they wanted to do more research would start doing research and they'd find it, and they'd read my answer and go, "Wow, okay, here's a thread. Why should I attend an in-person or how do, how, do, how do programming boot camps how can programming boot camps claim to teach people so quickly?" Ten competitors respond, and there's there's my answer. It has 100 upvotes. Everyone else's has 10, and the answer is just like a cut above everyone else's. And they go, "Oh, okay. I'm putting so much on the line. I'm going to pick the one that is more legitimate, more transparent, more yada yada yada." So a lot of my thinking then was more of like I would say less my like growth hat, which I tend to think of as more tactical, mm-hmm. uh, and and more of my sort of my, more of my like brands brand hat okay so
0: so it's the reputation that you built up got it yeah. um uh, so you, you know when, when it comes to we talked a little bit about you know you, you had uh you know everlane send over you know marketers to kind of learn SQL. i think uh so do you think most you know technology startup founders slash marketers operations people should learn to code
1: i don't know that they should learn to code uh, what well i guess what i should say is learn to code, I mean, the continuum of that is so vast. That's yeah. a bit like, should someone learn to play an instrument? Well, are we talking about Thelonious Monk? Or like, you know, are we talking about chopsticks, right? So I do think it's... Um, y- y- you have to understand... If you don't understand the medium you're playing with, the, the, the stuff out of which you're building everything you're building, the stuff, the, in, the environment in which you're playing. Like you can only achieve a certain level of understanding by reading about it. And you can get really, you can get really far doing that, but like when push comes to shove, you know, uh, when Tumblr releases, like when Tumblr first released their API, people, growth minded people with a technical background are thinking, Oh well, what can I? I Oh yeah, I wonder what API endpoints Tumblr is exposing, which is a a question that, for most people who haven't sort of dove into technical topics directly, wouldn't even wouldn't even occur to them. You know, they'd hear about it sometime sometime later, probably after someone else found success by making effective use of this API. Mm -hmm. You know, and then there'd be some article about how to use the Tumblr API to get your da 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 da. So. Uh, it's, I, don't think it's, I don't think it's necessary, but I think it makes the difference between, like, like, okay outcomes and exceptional outcomes uh, often. And you don't need a lot of code, especially if you're f- purely focused on marketing, because a lot of it is uh, automation, maybe um, intelligence. Uh, like, back in the Facebook days, people would... Uh, this will surprise no one, right? But you'd, you'd, you'd have fake accounts, either for testing purposes uh, or just to like, get a better sense of who your users were. And you'd find out about competitors where, like, when, when other new things were going viral because you had these accounts that were friends with the kinds of people who used these applications. And you'd use the Facebook API to see what was like, appearing on this account's feed. And you'd f- see an application that you'd never seen before Suddenly, start appearing, and you go, "Aha! Uh-huh, who is that? Oh, that is that Slide? Is that Rocky? Is that Zynga? Is that some new oncomer to the scene?" Um, and you simply can't do that without, like, you can't do that manually. What are you going to like be visiting this person's Facebook wall every so often? Um, no, you write you write a program to do it, and it emails you a report every day, or it sends you an alert when some new activity happens. So, it can really make it can make the difference in those regards uh, it, it's, it's like the Swiss army knife, you know, you, any, any, it can be adapted to any situation. Whereas I think people who don't have that skill tend to tend to be like, um, oh yeah, I'm like an SEO marketer or, oh, I'm a content marketer. or, oh, I'm a social media marketer. Or like they have to pick a little box and then they're just in that box and it works really well. Uh, versus you know oh and crap there 's a new um, like i had I had friends who were fi- who were figuring out how to get on the favorite page of instagram you know a, a month two months after they launched
0: mm-hmm.
1: and for and and now yeah you have like what 's your instagram marketing marketing strategy i 'm an i Inst- 'm an instagram marketer, so I think it 's a difference between i guess being on the like cu- the the leading edge versus the trailing edge, I think, is where those technical skills really make the difference. Got it. I like the way you put it. So, you know,
0: if if I'm someone, if let's just take me, for example. You know, I want to learn how to ask better questions like, you know, what's the API endpoint of this, right? You know, yep. so if I if I go through your program, am I going to learn how to ask these better questions for, for things I, I pretty much never even knew before?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We, we focus... Um, you know, you'll, you'll walk away with like real concrete technical skills, but in a way those, like we, we have to teach something specific, but it's all towards the end of giving people just a really clear picture of how, like wh- what, what's happening when a browser is sending something to the server. Think about something like, uh, this might be a term you know or don't, but uh, like the permacookie. The perma if you remember that, which was, uh, for, the, for the people who don't know, normally when you set a cookie, a user can clear it. But over the last four or five years, browsers have added all these other little places where you can store information. Um, and some of them are easier for users to clear out, or others. I'm not advocating doing this, by the way. Uh, and so the perma you would, you'd, instead of just setting a cookie in the usual place, you'd set it in like 10 different places, and when a user came back to your site, maybe they cleared their cookies, but you could look in the other nine places and then reset the correct cookie. So it was sort of like an undeletable cookie, which of course any advertiser or whatever, uh, analytics company, they're gonna be like, that, I want that. It, the, the ethicality is very, very, very like, there's a very fine line between you are abusing your user's trust that I'm, that I'm uncomfortable with personally But purely as an example of like, someone who isn't technical, it wouldn't even occur to them to think of doing something like that, let alone, because what happens is the reverse, right? You hear some announcement, um, Chrome announces support for the local storage API. The heck does that even mean? But someone who knows what that means goes, oh, I wonder if you can... Mm, all right, maybe what, what? I wonder how we, what if we put cookie data in there and use that like a cookie? Oh, we could, like, you know, these, these associations start to form. And that's, we want to put our students in a situation where those, those things, they're asking the right questions, and that when those things happen, they start to, they, they can, they have, a, they have a sort of bigger, more technical surface area to connect these, these announcements to. There's okay. A, this information
0: you stumble on into in the world, so. Yeah. I, I think it's it, it all stum- I mean, sorry, it all stumbles. It, it all comes down to asking the right questions. And and like yeah. I said before, you don't know what you don't know. And I think this is yeah. really important for people to understand. Um so you know, a few questions here from my, my side, a few more questions. Um, you know, what's one piece of advice you'd give to your 25-year-old self?
1: <laughs> I actually wrote uh, an article on my blog called A Letter to Myself. Uh, uh, 20bits.com. Um, I wrote it shortly after I left Everlane, so that's almost three years ago now uh but um i'll be very I'll be very sincere, not that I've been being insincere so far uh when I first moved out here, you know, I didn't know anybody um, I found my first job on Craigslist out here. It's a lot. There's a lot more sort of hustle and bustle now. This sounds weird in the technology world or Silicon Valley than there was eight eight years ago. Uh, but as I became like more enmeshed in this universe, you're you're all, you're just you're always surrounded by people who are doing more, being more successful. Um, I have. Three, three friends, since I've moved out here, have been founders of a company that exited for over a billion dollars, who, who, when I met them, were just like whoever. They were just people I met at a dinner party, or they just moved here, or whatever. And if, as you go down that number, friends whose companies exited for 100 million, 500, whatever, 110, it doesn't matter. People who, when they were building Facebook apps, were making $200,000 a day for six months, stuff like that. That's not me. I don't have that kind of money. Um, But it does something to you when you're surrounded by that. And you see people you know, who are your friends, who are still your friends, seeing those kinds of outcomes, and you you think, like, sort of everything out there is saying, this is what you should want, right? This is what you should be interested in. And it took a long time for me to be comfortable with it, but I think I always knew it, of, like, just reminding myself that the important thing is... uh, just, just, just worry about the work, you know? Just worry about doing good work and, and getting that work out there in front of people and worry about adding value to your life and other people's lives. And uh, if you, you can't do that in isolation. Like, obviously, if you do that in a cave, <laughs> that's great, but no one knows you did it. So you, it's that other half, too, of just, of just doing, doing, good, doing good things getting better at doing good things and, and sharing them with people. And uh, it's hard. It's easy to say, but it's, it's definitely difficult to sort of adhere to every day. But uh, I think that, that would, that would be what I would say is like, there's a lot of noise out there. And at the end of the day, just worry about doing, doing good work and sharing it with, with people who's, Whose, uh, whose lives it adds value to.
0: Couldn't agree more. Yeah, you know, as long as you add more value, you know, whatever, whatever the financial outcomes will, will come to you. Um, so what's one productivity hack you can share with the audience? Productivity hack? Um, I'm
1: I'm a pretty chronic procrastinator but what I, what I do know is that if I'm uh, in an environment that's stimulating me the right way, I'll, I'll be able to respond to that environment productively. So when I think about my productivity, I think less about you know the usual productivity stuff you read is, is like use a bullet journal or the Pomodoro technique or like 50 tips for sorting your email. I think of it more about putting myself putting myself in situations and environments that stimulate me in the right way. Um, so I really like, um, you know, I've always really like helping people out and answering questions. So, like, t- teaching environments are sort of great are great for me. Um, and it, it affords me an opportunity to do things I probably wouldn't have done before, right? A student asks a question about, well, like oh, how does X work? And I'm like, I don't know, but hey, I'm gonna, I'll go figure it out right now and tell you. Boom, 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 boom. And by the way, while I'm over the course of doing that, maybe I'll produce a little write-up about how I did it, and then maybe I'll publish it, and maybe people will pay attention to that. And it sort of starts off this chain reaction of, of productive behavior. So I personally, I don't have a specific answer, but, like, but I have a, a more abstract answer, which is I think about what... The, the moments when I felt productive, and I think, think about, about, about interference right now. Oh, sorry, oh, sorry. sorry. can you? Uh, or something. Yeah,
0: almost robot and really staticky. Oh, weird, <laughs> weird. Let, 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 let me try. Let me try something. Sorry about that.
1: How about now? Is this any better? That's perfect. We'll edit
0: this part out. No worries. Okay.
1: Sorry about that. So, yeah, I think about... I reflect on the moments where I felt productive and the, the aspects of my environment that contributed to that productivity, and I just try to replicate that environment. Uh, and in a way, just sort of let the... Let the environment be like a sort of a wave that's carrying me along. Rather than worrying so much, I just find that you... There's lots of like negative self-talk involved in the, like, you should be more productive. You're not productive enough. Why are you procrastinating? You know, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Ugh, did you get everything you needed to be done today? And um, that doesn't put me in a good headspace. So I, th- I think about changing my environment before I think about changing myself, mostly. Okay.
0: What's an example environment? Um,
1: well, certainly, it's like, for me, te- being in a teaching environment is great. Um, okay. it can, it can be a little, it can be a little bad if I get distracted from other things I need to be doing, like writing a blog post uh, and a student's like, Hey, I have a really
0: compelling question. So like an actual classroom. I'll, I'll just...
1: Yeah. In, in person or virtual. Person. Okay. Uh, uh, Quora is great for me. If someone okay. asks, a, if someone asks a great question,
0: okay.
1: you know, it'll be like, Oh, I have, I have things to say about that. Um, oftentimes when I'm writing a blog post now, I think of it in terms of, um, Like, hey, is there a question someone might ask me? And I might, like, list out, imagine there's some person I'm having a conversation with who's asking me a question, and and do I feel like I could give a compelling answer? And the ones that feel more compelling might, I might just, they say write like you speak, I just write write what I would have said, uh, and edit it, obviously, but. So that, that tends to be how I think about it. So sometimes I'm not literally in that environment, it's like, Once you have a good enough handle on what that environment should be, you can you know create a little like mental version of it for yourself. Got it. I like that.
0: Okay. Cool. Final question here. You know, what's one must-read book you recommend to the audience?
1: Ho ho ho. -ho. Uh, There's, there's two. Uh, One is called Mindstorms. By Seymour Papert, and the subtitle is uh, "Children, Computer, Children, Computers, and Powerful Ideas." Uh, It was written in 1983, I think, and it still reads like it was from the future. Uh, But it's about, really, it's about learning um, and teaching. it's funny because it was written at a time when learning how to program computers wasn't a thing you did. You only used computers to learn other things. But there's a lot of really, really good thought about how, how people think and assimilate information, how they react to their sort of their environment and how they become acclimated and situated to new and surprising situations and how a teacher can guide it. And for people who are growth minded, Honestly, that sort of thinking is a big part of what makes growth work. Um, And this, well, I'll recommend, actually, there's there's three books. Uh, One is, the second one is Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. Um, It's very recently published. And it's funny because the book is largely about, like, a big theme of it is confirmation bias and the role it plays in how we form our beliefs. Uh, And when I read the book, I felt like everything in here is a more concise articulation of how I've thought about people think, how I've thought people think and learn and assimilate new information. I was like, that's sort of ironic because I'm, I'm like, I agree with everything in this book, but the book is about confirmation bias. Uh, and the third book is older and this is, it's gonna, it's a little more academic, but it's called, um, the presentation of self in everyday life. Uh, and it's, it was written in the fifties, I think. Um, but for people who are doing growth, especially growth on fo- social channels, it's, you, know, you, you have to understand on Facebook, for example, it's, uh, if you want to get people to do things, you have to understand that it's mostly about their concerns around how they'll look in front of other people, like what their behavior means and how and why they're behaving the way they're doing. Um, and this the book is entirely about that, how people form their sense of identities and models, a specific model of um, sort of how people's behaviors are shape, shaped by their environments and how people sort of take on different roles and different aspects of their personality depending on w- where they're interacting socially. And, and we all know that intuitively. Like, we don't post the same things to Twitter as we do on Facebook. We feel there's a very different valence around someone emailing us out of the blue versus texting us out of the blue. Like intuitively we all understand that moment where we hesitate to post something because we don't know who will be seeing it, that kind of stuff, and so I think that book, although it's 60 years old at this point, has a lot to say about uh, those topics, so.
0: All right, thank you so much. You know. The, it, it, you have a really good memory. I mean, the, the for you to recall all these like really specific details in these books, and I I think this is something we should talk about another time. But uh, anyway, you know, really enjoyed interviewing you, uh, Jess. This, everyone, Thanks. this is Jesse Farmar from uh, Code Union. Everyone, check it out. Uh, you know, you're sure to find some cool stuff there.
1: Awesome. All
0: right. Take Thanks, care. everyone.